Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist of the Tuscaloosa News, joined by longtime senior analyst, Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, the Talking Tide podcast available to you wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And of course, uh, we are live on YouTube and Facebook as well. The Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. And we quickly want to thank Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, a sponsor of the show. A lot to get into in this edition. We're going to be talking about uh, the Alabama draft outcomes uh, on the the NFL draft. And of course, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that quarterback transfer that came straight out of uh, A-Day, more or less, Travis. Um, Some big news there this past week. Uh, A lot to get into, but uh, Travis first, uh, Bryce Young joins Harry Gilmer. Uh, the only two Alabama number one picks overall uh, goes to the Carolina Panthers to, uh, let's face it, if you're number one and you're a quarterback, you're the savior. You hate to say that or put that on anybody, but that's what the NFL is looking for for somebody at that position, at that selection. They are, and so uh, good for Bryce. And then, as we'll get into, fireworks there in that two, three range with the Houston Texans with D'Amico Ryan's taking over as the head coach there in H town. But yeah, Bryce threw it all through all the questions about the height and the size and the potential for durability issues. Ultimately chase. I just don't think the Panthers could get away from all that tape. When you talk about the quarterbacks in this draft, I think that was ultimately the deciding factor. It had to be just the consistency week in and week out for Bryce was there and not so much the case with C.J. Stroud, who still went number two, um, but more of an upside pick than I think a high high four pick. I think that's Bryce. He's the higher four. He's more the potential for not only a day one starter, but more success in that role. Uh, whereas Stroud, maybe you're thinking a little bit more Big picture with him, but uh, yeah, there he goes, Bryce Young to the NFC South. Still going to be down here in these pots. No question, no question. The uh, the consensus, I guess, among uh, scouts and the people who talk to scouts who also talk in the media, Travis, ultimately became this on Bryce Young. Look, the accuracy, you can't deny it. The mobility, they loved it all. The knock, ne- the knock wasn't height. I, I think at this point, the NFL is past the height thing, at, at, least to a, at least to a large extent. But, yeah, it's the durability. 
Um, mm-hmm. In your opinion, uh, Bryce Young being slight of frame, as he is, uh, is, is durability a worry for you if you're an NFL GM? It is, but, I mean, look at a guy like Andrew Luck. That dude wasn't slight. And what was it that ultimately drove him out of the league prematurely? It was not just the injuries that piled up. It was the burden of working through them time and time again. There's a mental aspect of those injuries, too, uh, when you're consistently trying to come back from them. So, I mean, I get it. He, He isn't the biggest guy in the world. And it's a position where injuries are a major concern. But they're not a major concern just for 200-pound guys, because we see every year we see 220-pound, 220-plus-pound guys uh, knocked out of the game. And in some instances, it's because they don't have the mobility that Bryce right. has. So The pocket guys go down ways, like timber. The, t- the yeah. pocket guys go down like Redwoods. timber. Yeah. So, no question. All right, uh, we will get back to the uh, flurry of activity that, that resulted in Will Anderson – Uh, going number three to the Texans. Uh, But quickly, just to recap the draft on the whole, Travis, and then we'll circle back and talk about a couple of these guys or more. Uh, Will Anderson, of course, to the Texans, number three overall. want to talk about all the picks the Texans traded away to move up and get Anderson. Jameer Gibbs, a surprise to the Lions at 12 overall. Brian Branch, a surprise second rounder. Uh, goes in the middle of the round also to the Lions. I was wrong on Branch. I thought as far as his draft stock, I thought he was going first round for sure. Uh, Tyler Steen to the Eagles, third round. Byron Young to the Raiders, third round. Uh, Jordan Battle to the Bengals, third round. Campbell two to the Niners, third round. Really a third round bonanza, Travis. And then uh, on the tail end, Henry Toa Toa to the Texans, fifth round. And uh, DeMarco Hellams to the Falcons in round seven. Uh, let's start with Anderson, and then maybe we'll jump around. Uh, your thoughts on the fit for him going to a franchise where uh, he's they got a lot of they got a lot of building. They need to do a lot of building. It's a, a franchise that's that's really falling on hard times in the win loss column, uh, but. He seems like the perfect guy from a leadership standpoint to maybe go in as a rookie and establish himself as a, a a real presence in that locker room, regardless of age. Because, look, if you're the Houston Texans and you lose like they lose, it ain't the 33-year-old necessary that you're looking to, right, to put the locker room together. Maybe Will Anderson can be that one of those core guys. He can, and it's interesting because, really, when you think that Christian Harris is already there and Henry goes there uh, in the fifth, and then Will with the third pick, you've got, really, Alabama's – Every down starters at the linebacker positions just about uh, from a couple of years ago uh, in Houston now. And I, I think that is, is, is a bonus, certainly, for Houston in that situation with Will. You're not getting what you only you know, believe to be the, the top defensive player in the draft. But he's one of those rare defensive guys that can also be the face of the franchise. In other words, we typically associate that with the quarterback position. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that put on CJ Stroud too, but man, Will's certainly going to give you that out in front. Um, As we saw during his time at Alabama, it's a role he's certainly not only capable of handling, but he seems to really embrace it. I know some of the pre-draft stuff he was involved with in Kansas city, Bryce too, uh, sort of just spoke to that as well. 
Yeah, no doubt. The Texans, uh, the GM Nick Casario traded four picks to move up. He he had uh, had the 12th, uh, traded away the 12th. I think the 33rd, Travis, traded away a first next year. Uh, I think another big pick next year, second or third next year as well. I think they got a pick coming back, uh, but that's a huge price to pay for sure. Two first rounders to move up to get Anderson uh, plus a couple other pretty significant picks. Uh, and and D'Amico Ryans, the new head coach of the Texans and the former Alabama uh, team captain, uh, by the way, just like Will Anderson, they both got their cleats and uh, hands and wet cement over there at Denny Chimes. Uh, he's a, uh, you know, he loves it. You know, D'Amico loves getting a big time linebacker to get this thing started. He does. It, it almost had a feel there that I, have, I think I've seen this on social media too. The, the Stroud pick almost felt like the owner's pick at two. And then at three, the GM and or D'Amico were able to come back around and get their guy in Will right. Anderson. You know, it's kind of like everybody walked away with dip and dots, you know, their favorite flavor. <laughs> so uh, everybody went home happy with those first, uh, those, those two and three at, at those spots and getting, Really, again, the the guys that you're looking at as being, for the next 10 years, the faces of your franchise, the most impactful players. Uh, It'll be interesting, too. I mean, you talk about just being really good people and really good teammates, like D'Amico was at Alabama and in the NFL, and then like we've seen with Will to this point. um, D'Amico was a versatile guy, too. And I'll be interested to see exactly how they use Will. Will he be just be exclusively an edge guy? Um, we saw Alabama move him around, maybe to the detriment of not only him, but the defensive scheme last year at times. Uh, so how they go about utilizing Will, uh, I think will be interesting too. Yeah, it's my understanding that the Anderson had, you know, people talk about his sack production and that TFL production taking a dip last year. His pass rushing reps in games, Travis, was way down. I think maybe, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 fewer pass rush snaps for, for Anderson last year. Cheetah. Cheetah. Cheetah <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, um, look, that didn't exactly pan out. And we talked about it at the time when it became evident that that was going to be a part of the scheme that it, it, it sounded great, and why not get three pass rushers on the field together? But there were concerns about, you know, how exactly that was going to come to fruition. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think, and I get it. This isn't to throw Pete Golding under the bus because when you got a guy like Will Anderson, you, you feel like you can use him. Yeah, you know, I was mm-hmm. kind of surprised that Will wasn't even used at inside linebacker some because I think he could have been fine there. Mm-hmm. Um it's just a, it's a tough thing to sort of look away from when you got a player of his caliber. Quick thoughts on Jameer Gibbs and Brian Branch, Travis, if, if you'd have told me before the draft that those two were going to go 12th overall and, and, and middle of the second round, I would have, I would have said, yeah, I, I, I totally buy that. Branch will go 12th and Gibbs will, <laughs> Gibbs will go middle of the second round. Uh, the reverse of that and both to the same squad, that, that Detroit squad. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I would have – I had Branch going the first of the two. But when Bijan Robinson went in the top ten, like he did as early as he went, and you know that Jameer is the other back in this draft with – and at the top of the draft at the running back position, you were like, well, damn, that's that's great for Jameer because 
obviously, if another back goes here in these next 22, 23 picks, it's going to be Jameer Gibbs. And it didn't take long. I mean, he came off at 12. And uh, then we learned that there was a plan, obviously, for DeAndre Swift to go ahead and move him. Um, I like what the Lions did. And I think to get Brian where they got him, that's a lot of value. I do think maybe in some ways that you tell me, Chase, it spoke to maybe the way Brian's viewed around the league, at least going in, kind of a poor man's Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, and maybe some teams just weren't quite sold on him being an elite safety and or a slot corner. You know, maybe he was viewed as a tweener by a lot of teams, at least where the first round is concerned. Now, once you got in the second round, that's when the value starts to kick in. Right. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I, I wonder I wonder if the slot corner thing and I and I and I'll preface this by saying I thought Brian Branch had a fantastic year for Alabama in the slot corner and everywhere else they played him. I thought he was Alabama's second best defensive player last year behind Will Anderson. Um that being said, for for Brian Branch to slip in this draft, I got to think maybe too many NFL clubs looked at him as a safety. And not and and maybe not for whatever they, reason a slot corner because it, because if they think you can play slot corner that's the guy that's the guy that goes in the first round. Or they um, just take a corner. They just take right. an outside corner, and then safety value, as you're alluding to here, is where you it, it's gone up. Don't get me wrong, but it goes up if you're able to do in the eyes of teams more than play safety. If you don't, that's typically where second round comes in. Jordan Battle was a highly regarded safety. He went third round. So it kind of speaks to what you're what you're talking about there. And I, I think it's a good pick. You know what? I love Brian Branch, by the way, hanging around to get his moment on day two. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't yes. go home. Yes. I, and, and look, it would have been easy. And everybody else pretty much did. Will Levis went home. Uh, and I nothing against those guys. I get it. But Brian Branch was going to get his moment. And I thought it was cool, too, that Goodell was still there to greet him on stage like he would have in the first round. So right, I thought right. that was really cool on Friday. I did, too. I did, too. Brian Branch uh, hung around. Like you said, most don't. Uh, they, they really don't. I, I think when Landon Collins slipped he out hung of the around. first round, I th- yeah, he, I think he hung around as well, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of some other guys that, that – uh, that maybe we're in a similar position um, from Alabama. Jordan Battle uh, went higher than I thought he would, Travis. If we're going to talk mm-hmm. about uh, somebody other than Gibbs who did really well, uh, I'd say it's Battle. He goes with the last pick of round three, so pretty much right in the heart of the draft, right in the middle of it. And uh, I, from you know, I talked to a couple scouts that saw him in the same, put him pretty much in the same basket as Helms, even though they're different players. Uh, scouts I talked to felt like they were in the same basket in terms of overall value, uh, and, and felt like they, they were both, uh, you know, sixth, seventh round guys. But it just goes to show it only takes one team to fall in love with you, uh, for you to go wherever you go. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like Jordan Bat a lot in terms of just being a consistent player. I didn't think the playmaking as much was there in 2022. Now we've talked about it sometimes, some of that has to do with design what you're being asked to do uh, at a position like safety Um, just didn't have the opportunities or wasn't able to capitalize when he did, but no question that he's a consistent guy. He's a smart guy. He's a dependable guy. 
so that made sense there late in the third. And I, I think that, you know, when you talk about that third round, man, it just felt like for a minute it was just going to be Tennessee and Alabama every other pick because Tennessee started that run there in the third round too pretty good with Hendon Hooker and some of um, Cedric Tillman and, and some of their guys. But I, I thought it spoke well for Alabama because I was thinking, Chase, it could be, you know, three, four guys maybe on Thursday and then right. not a lot on Tuesday, I mean, Friday, and then even into Saturday, it might be more fifth, sixth, seventh round. I thought Alabama mm-hmm. actually had some nice balance throughout the draft, and I was I was wondering if that was going to be the case going in. Yeah, I bet you uh, there have been some drafts that probably the average Alabama pick has been later than whatever the average on this one is. Uh, we've seen some Alabama drafts, like you just noted, where you get a couple, three guys, four guys, whatever, in round one, and then there's a little bit of a disappearing act on day two, and then and then a, a free-for-all where a whole bunch of guys go, go on day three. Uh, the Alabama's had a, a draft or two like that, but this wasn't one of them. The third round uh, just kind of went wild for Alabama. Four, yeah, four third-round picks, Steen, Byron Young to the uh, to yeah, Las I wasn't, Vegas. I wasn't convinced Byron Young or Jordan were going to go in the first three rounds. I don't know about you. So, yeah, what they end up with, Alabama ended up with eight picks in the top 100, 101, something like that. I, I one, say. Yeah, Matu, I think, was 101, and yeah. he was he was the eighth. So, uh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's strong. There's no doubt about it. Really quickly, Travis going to run down these undrafted free agents. Uh, there's five of them. I'm going to ask you, Travis, to uh, identify the one, in your opinion, with the best chance to stick, as they say, in the National Football League. Uh, consideration, of course, of not only the talent, but also the destination. Uh, DJ Dale to the Buffalo Bills. Kendall Randolph to the Seattle Seahawks. Jalen Moody to the Cincinnati Bengals. Eli Ricks to the Philadelphia Eagles and Emil Ekior to the Colts. Who sticks out of those five, Travis? Wow. Um, you pull for Emil because he's the hometown guy in that situation. Going home to Indianapolis with the Colts, man, that would be an awesome story. Um, value is at corner. I think Eli Rick still has a lot to learn, so it kind of depends on – if he goes there as a undrafted free agent, do the do the Eagles really have a plan for him? I can see him being the most likely practice squad guy, put it that way. Mm-hmm. He's the kind of guy that you see all the physical attributes and you think it's all there. We just need to spend some time with him, help him develop. And in a year, we could have a top two-round talent at corner. Um I'm going to go with Ricks, too. and I think Ricks makes sense. And I'll, I'll say this. My next guy would probably be Jalen Moody, which might be a surprise, but I just see him as special teams. He was good in that regard for Alabama. And so he comes at, at a spot and at a position where he could, he could help. Yeah. I like Ricks out of that whole mm-hmm. group, largely because I think he could be a special teams guy for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, He's 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 got physical makeup certainly for for that and you know all you got if if all you are is is a really good special teams guy and you're projected 
maybe just like Ricks as a developmental guy who may be a year or two years away from helping on the field defensively uh, or offensively, if that, if that's the case, but, but the, the scouting uh, fraternity looks at you as a hell of a special teams player. Those guys start going in round five. They don't wait around. They, all the, those aren't all undrafted free agents. Lots of those guys are coming off the board round five, round six. Uh, and for that reason, I, I was a little surprised Ricks went, went undrafted. And you know this too, and I don't know, uh, Eli, but th- there's a want to that has to be involved in that too, to be that right. guy on special teams, especially if you haven't been really at this point in your career. There's an AFC South team last year that drafted an SEC running back in like the fourth or fifth round, and he gets to the club. And he hadn't played really special teams to that point. Mm -hmm. And so they're thinking he's a running back. Running backs typically help you on special teams, especially fourth, fifth, sixth round running backs. Right. So they asked the guy about playing special teams. He goes, he got in a lab. He goes, nah, I don't play special teams. (laughs) You know what? You might now. Yeah. You want to stick in the league? You ever heard of of the Birmingham Stallions? (laughs) (laughs) Pal? Let me give you three letters, pal. X, S, L. Yeah, he was like, he laughed at me. He said, no, I don't play special teams. Not my jam. Not my jam. (laughs) Well, fifth round picks usually do, pal. Mercy. All right. I'll give you that name after we go off here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Full full, half disclosure. Yeah. uh, all right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Going to thank a uh, sponsor right now, Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa. Travis, uh, tell us about them. You know what tomorrow is, right? Already May the 1st, dude. Isn't that wild? We're already through April. And so it's May the 1st, and you got the kids, and you're already trying to plan those summer activities. Now, Goodbread and myself are pretty much retired from that scenario, but it's not too far in our distant path and past to remember it quite well. And you wait too long, you get into mid-May, late May, and it's late. Stuff starts filling up. The chocolate camp at Peterbrook Chocolatier. You need to go ahead and get the little ones signed up for that coming up this summer. Throughout the summer there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, 205-752-0211. Do it today. Make that reservation for the little ones. And also for mama coming up one week from today. You got mama's day, mother's day. And you know what mama likes? Mama likes those chocolates. So you can, couple of birds, one stone, whatnot. Peterbrook Chocolates here. 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network, the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. Travis, before we sign off, a few minutes certainly are due, excuse me, on Tyler Buckner, the transfer quarterback from Notre Dame, comes to Alabama from the portal just a couple of days after A-Day. Um, I mean, thought, at this point, Goodbread, is the damn leprechaun coming to Tuscaloosa too? <laughs> I mean, Tommy right. Reese, Tyler Buckner. I mean, just load up the, the leprechaun. Yeah. You know? Send them down. Touchdown, Jesus. You know, bring it all down. 
A lot of reaction, though, about this one, Travis. Mm -hmm. Alabama, obviously, and of course, it comes off of an A day, as we talked about last Sunday night. Uh, that was that was pretty disappointing overall from a quarterback perspective. We talked about a couple of the reasons why, uh, but nevertheless, neither Simpson nor Milrow uh, inspired. We'll put it that way. Uh, and a couple days later, Nick Saban takes a quarterback transfer. Hey, I don't care what Tyler Buckner has done or has not done at Notre Dame. Saban's bringing this guy in as a clean slater, Travis. Um, to compete and, and, and see if it now I'm not I, I'm not making any predictions about who's going to win the job or how, how quickly Buckner might rise on the ladder. He, he may he might not bust a great. Who knows? Uh, but uh, Saban's not bringing him in with the idea that, that uh, OK, he's he's death. I think he's bringing him in to to see if he can rise to the, to the top. Well, if you listen to Nick post a day talking about the quarterbacks, it was ominous sounding in some ways mm -hmm. for the for the for the room but certainly the two guys that primarily had competed for the job throughout spring and that's not to say one of those two still won't win it if they hang around they both hang around Jalen Milrow may very well end up winning it maybe it's Ty Simpson but I agree he's bringing it in to beef up that competition at the top he wants to he wants to look at another potential candidate I don't think there's any doubt about that I don't think it was presented to Tyler Buckner as, oh, you come here, it's plug and play. Because right. I think there's very, very few that that's been the case with, if any. Um, Nick's all about competition. And that's what he's looking for here, I think, out of Tyler Buckner. And, um, you know, if one of the two guys or both of the guys throughout the course of spring had shown that, yeah, we're good with these two. Between these two, one of these guys at least is going to be capable uh, of leading this football team not just to wins it's Nick doesn't talk about season goals but we know what the standard is right it's right. compete for the national championship and that's what he's basing every position on not just quarterback so if there's any position he can do this at he's gonna do it and this time around it's it's quarterback and the standard at quarterback just in the last five or six years has gone way up and yeah. just because Bryce Young moves on, Nick's not going to, oh, well, we got to just kind of, we just kind of got to step back at quarterback and just kind of understand where, no, if he, if he thinks he can make that better, he's going to do it. And another thing to keep in mind too, Travis, is if, and look, Tyler Buckner's had some turnover issues at, yes. at Notre Dame and, and his action too. So it's not like he's got uh, a clean record in that regard, but if ball security fumbles, interceptions, what have you, is an issue with Milrow and Simpson throughout camp, and Buckner, uh, at the very least, is taking care of the ball and 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 uh, you know hitting all the routine throws at the you know he ain't got to be Joe Namath, no, right? No. If, if 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 his if if the edge that he that he has on Milrow and Simpson is ball security, that's a big yeah. edge, and it might be the only edge he needs. It might be, um, you know, and he has history with Tommy Reese, and so I, I don't think that gives him the edge necessarily. But Reese is very comfortable, obviously, and what he's bringing in in Tyler Buckner after working with him for a couple of years. Now, he only had a couple months so far with Milrow and Simpson. And, you know, look, it's going to get interesting quickly in fall camp. If all five of these guys are there for fall camp, 
uh, especially the first, the top three that we anticipate being there. Uh, reps. You know, it's one thing to get two guys in a competition enough reps in August. But by that second scrimmage, everybody kind of knows the deal at that point or, or needs to know it because, yeah, you open with Middle Tennessee, and that's sort of a blessing also in all this is that you don't open with Texas right out the gate. You got that game. That right. can help you. That kind of helps you defer it a little bit if you need the extra time. But let me tell you, when you look at what Texas is going to bring to Tuscaloosa, especially on the offensive side where the skill positions are concerned, you don't want to be Ole Miss 2015 at quarterback. I don't mm-hmm. think going into that game. You know, I, you don't have to be, as you said, you don't have to be Heisman Trophy caliber good, but you're probably going to need to be more than serviceable. You know, right. there's still going to be in this era of college football, whether you like it or not, there's going to be a couple of games a year where you're going to have to outscore some people and your quarterback's going to have to be able to help you do that. That's just the way it is. Right. And 200 on the ground and 150 in the air doesn't get it done in games like that. 2011. And I know I I see folks say, Oh, they're going to go back to 2011. Well, that's fine. If your defense can go back to 2011, but this defense ain't 2011 either. I mean, you look at all the changes that they've got on that side of the ball. And then you also have to take into account the quarterbacks you're going to face, like Quinn Ewers, like Jackson Dart and or Spencer Sanders, you know, like Jaden Daniels, like Joe Milton, like K.J. Jefferson. They, they've got some legit quarterbacks that they're going to see, which tells me they're going to have to score some points in some games. I know they want to try to control games more with the run game. That's great. But – just being the way it is these days, you're still going to have to outscore a couple people probably. There's no doubt. Uh, the, the, the passing game is just, it's advanced that much with uh, for a number of different reasons. But uh, yeah, uh, it's not it's not 2011 anymore from a defensive standpoint. There's a different definition of good defense today than there was 10 or 12 years ago. And you um, look at the skill guys around some of these quarterbacks they're going to face. You see Texas A&M's wide receivers with Connor Wiegman. Um Texas, I'm just telling you, they get A.D. Mitchell in from Georgia to go along with Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington and a tight end like Jatavian Sanders. And, you know, I'm not saying Texas is going to win that game. I'm not going there in week two. But if you think it's going to be 13-9, it ain't going to be that either. (laughs) All right, the Talk of Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Travis, real quick. Let's close things out with uh, some conference talk. Uh, this SEC's working group, which is uh, putting forth potential recommendations for field spring remedies, Travis. They come out with, um, it was reported, they've uh, circled a couple of potential ideas. It really sounds like these proposals are in embryonic stages. Uh, but one is uh, you lose a home game. If uh, if your fans storm the home field uh, to the school upon which the storming uh, occurs. Uh, So obviously, as a for instance, uh, if the rule had been in place last year, Alabama would be looking at hosting Tennessee and LSU both three years in a row. Um, (laughs) What what about this madness? Yeah, well, I mean, 
it's it's it, it hasn't worked with the financial hit and it's kind of the sec that's to blame for it because the money has gotten so big that yeah you can say a million dollar fine and and that's still a hit don't get me wrong it's it but you know the, the, the money is is crazy it's not the deterrent you would think it is i guess so i think it's also the, the fans don't pay a it. dog whistle it's a dog whistle to the universities and the 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 the, the cities that the the schools are in mm-hmm. that if you be, if y'all don't have it beefed up enough for for security on field security at your games yeah then you know we're going to you're going to pay for it one way or the other you can either pay for it you know and, and get it where it needs to be or you know, I don't know what they do. Declare martial law or some shit. Excuse me, but I, I don't understand kind of what you can do. You know, the National Guard yeah, come well, in look, or something. Flies, you know? For every Alabama road game, we have the National Guard. You know, <laughs> that's right. Well, the um, the fines are never going to do it because the fans aren't the ones who pay it. And 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 uh, so they don't care. The fines are. I don't care if it's a billion. I don't think a million dollar fine would stop fans. If they want to storm, they're going to storm. No. Uh, at the but but at the other on the other side of it, if this home game thing is is formally proposed, it gets yeah. voted down. I don't think it, it's not going to get the support because there's going to be too many ads uh, or presidents if it got to that level that that look at it and say I'm not losing that home game because of the revenue that goes along with that home game. So well, that's the out, towns, so. what they what the cities would lose, you know? Yeah. We're talking right, right. we're talking 15, 20 million dollars in losing a whole No, one, these ADs and presidents aren't going to take that risk and so that's not going to happen. I, I I keep coming back to what Sankey's alluded to a couple of times and I think we've talked about it at least once on Talking Tide, but it's going to come down to the uh, um, getting the visiting team off the field with no issues as a separate and bigger deal than whether or not the field gets stormed. Uh, because if you take all your, if you take all your resources that you have, you know, at both goalposts trying to keep people from storming and you just take those resources and surround the visiting squad with them, figure out a way to get them to that tunnel, have a plan to get to that tunnel, have enough security, have enough security to make sure they get to that tunnel uh, without without fans intervening with those with with the visiting squad, to me uh, that's at the heart of what the league wants to do. Because it, here's the thing: if if fans go on the field and get hurt, like they fight with each other, or there you know a goalpost accident, God forbid, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. But they subject themselves to that danger by going on the field, right? You kind of yeah. sign up for a little danger when you do that. Well, right. that's not the that's not the case with the visiting team. They ju- they just lost a game. All they want to do is get out of there. They didn't sign up to interact with the fans. And so, uh, really, at the end of the day, Travis, I think field storming is more of a school problem than a conference problem. But uh, home fan versus visiting player interaction slash potential violence that's a bigger conference problem than a school problem. Well, I mean, you look at press conference setups. There's a reason why there's a cooling off period for the losing team at a lot of those, yeah. right? And that's yeah. after they get to the locker room. 
That's so right. You, you, you're, you're already saying that you, you know that there needs to be that sort of buffer between clock hitting zeros and when you even have them in a formal press setting. Yeah. You know, you got overtime losses or one point losses and here comes everybody on the field and players are pissed and emotional. Right. Uh, you know, there's there's no reason for anyone to put their hands on people. But if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to present a threat or you're going to basically get up on somebody in that situation, you kind of you buy the ticket, you take the ride, unfortunately, I think. And, um, you know, I, I think the in some ways it's it's the, the league doesn't want this. But, you know, the the league just needs Alabama to go back to like, you know, seven and six. And there wouldn't be as many of these, you know, take care of that problem. Pretty yeah. Quick. All right. That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Join us again next week for the Sunday Nighter. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of the Tuscaloosa News. Again, this is the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Sports Network, and we'll talk to you next time on Talking Tide.